Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that removes three quarters of a million dollars of prize support from arguably the biggest and most prestigious competitive event of the year, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott and I'm joined by the hateful Eidolon herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? Better now I've moved in and I can get to some normality. I'm in the new place. Nice. Um, I'm not living in boxes anymore, so that's quite nice. <laughs> um, so with that, I haven't done a huge amount of magic because I've been busy playing adult Tetris without the fun music. As for content, I did receive a lovely care package from the folks at Wizards of the Coast and yours truly. Basically a massive Modern Horizons 2 care package. So this pile of draft boosters, set and collector like boosters and a whole load of sweet treats which I made short work of while mm. I was moving. The lollipops were really, really tasty. Uh, I did fire up a stream earlier in the week where I cracked open the boosters and talked about the set. You know, it's a good way to share, you know, the spoils yeah. essentially. Um, you can check the VOD over at twitch.tv slash Enzyme and that's pretty much me because I've been busy being an adult. So how about you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. This week actually has been a bit of an emotional one for me. Yeah. I have sold my mono blue Tron deck. <gasps> but you loved it so much. <laughs> I know, I know. It's the end of an era for me, but I took the opportunity to sell it and use the money from it to buy a place out of Scalding Tarns. Fair. I've been dying to get a place out of Scalding Tarns for about three years now at this point, but I've never been able to justify spending 50 to 60 euros on a playset. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get a good deal on them. I got four of them for 120 euros. That's pretty good. Which is it's okay, you know. It could be a little bit better in a week or two's time, but I just want to play with them now, you know. So uh, in addition to that, I've been playing Aspiring Spikes Mono Red Phoenix build, the one that you directed me towards, and it is my new favorite deck, I gotta say. Spike is great. It's, I love Spike. Oh, so He's good. so good at deck building. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is like the perfect cross between Is a Phoenix the way it used to be and Modern Red Prowess, which, you know, obviously is a great thing for me. Dragon's Race Chandler and Fateless Salvaging from Modern Horizons 2 have been enormous boosts to the archetype. You can just fill your graveyard so quickly now. And it might also just be a real deck going forward, because I believe he, the last time I checked, he was like 12 and 3 or something with the deck. Like, he's had an absurd record with it. Speaking of... Uh, my article this week is actually about three different affordable decks to get into modern with. So there's a more competitive one, there's a quirky one, and then there's one that's completely off the rails. Like I'm talking absolutely absurd yeah. nonsense. You look at the deck and you're like, what the hell are you doing? So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can check that over in Card Kingdom now if you want. And then outside of Magic, I actually haven't had a lot of time. I've still been stuck in the trenches with Modern Horizons 2, brewing and, and playing away. I'm still working my way through Control. I should probably have it finished by now, to be honest, but, you know, doing too much magic stuff. So, there's that. Uh, I also got to meet up with my family yesterday for the first time in a few months, I would say, because, you know, we're not all vaccinated yet and everything, and we can only really meet outdoors now and that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. I went over to my sister's house for a nice outdoor barbecue. Not that you'd have an indoor barbecue, but... You know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was real good. Uh, my sister made me a full carrot cake to take home, Ooh. which is good. It is arguably the best carrot cake I've ever eaten in my life as well. Absolutely. I'm not big um, on carrot cake. But... Oh, it's so moist. It's so moist. The My arch enemy is dry cake. It just, I, I remember having it. Maybe it's something that's, you know, worth revo- like revisiting. You know, like you, you should do mm. if, with foods you don't like. Like mushrooms is a really good example of this. Um, I just remember as a kid, I just could not get on with carrot cake. 
Um, but everyone's like, oh, it's so delicious, but it's so it's got the, got the cream cheese and you got the moistness. I'm just like, yeah, it's just something about it. Maybe I need to revisit it, and you know, maybe it's an excuse just to make carrot cake. I don't know. Yeah, hundred percent. And then so you need you to, see the trick is you need you need to add like nutmeg and that kind of thing. Mm, nutmeg like, is good. Sometimes people add a little bit of nutmeg and they're like, oh, there it is, like a little hint of it. Like someone whispered nutmeg at your cake. <laughs> that is not enough. That is not enough nutmeg. You need to see the nutmeg. So you're saying I should encase the carrot cake in nutmeg? Is it just a nutmeg yeah. cake? Yeah, yeah, carrot nutmeg cake. Yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be devouring the entire thing as soon as we're finished recording. No regrets Fair. whatsoever. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show, and their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right, so before we jump into what we're talking about this week, I have a card of the week this time, and it is Scrapyard Recombiner. So Scrapyard Recombiner is a three generic mana construct. It's zero zero with modular two. So it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters, and when it dies, you may put those plus one plus one counters onto target artifact creature. And it's from Modern Horizons 1, and you can tap and sacrifice an artifact to search your library for a construct card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library. So this is 45 cents. It's an artifact sacrifice outlet. It's a repeatable tutor. And if you really need to, you can sacrifice itself if necessary. It's really, really good in Commander for like artifact decks. So you can tutor up stuff like, say if you need a mana dork, you can go and get a mannequin. If you want a combo piece, you can get a Triskelion or a Stuffy Doll or a Scrap Trawler. If you want removal, you can get Noxious Gear Hulk. If you want like a pseudo ensnaring bridge or a ghostly prison kind of effect, you can get a silent arbiter, that kind of stuff. They're all constructs. You can put this small construct package into a deck if you really want to, even if it's not a particularly artifact heavy deck. But yeah, it's super, super cool. It sometimes shows up in older versions of Hardened Scales in modern as well, mm. as ways to tutor up, say like Walking Ballista and that kind of thing. So, yeah, 45 cents. It's a steal. It's a good one. Now, so, a couple of weeks ago, we did a Pioneer Primer on Is It Phoenix. This time around, we're doing a deck that's a little closer to Emma's Heart, and that is Orzov Auras. So, it's a, it's a pretty aggressive kind of archetype. It's somewhat similar to Bogle's in some ways, I suppose. Yeah, it's like Bogles with extra steps. And what I mean yeah. by the extra steps is the fact that you can draw a lot of cards off it and there's ways to recur as well. So you do have a pretty solid late game plan as opposed to modern Bogles, where if you lose your hexproof creature, you're kind of done, really. There's 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 very little else you can do. Yeah, for sure. So what does Orzop Auras do? Um, it's also known as Sram Auras. You might hear it being called that, you know, in various deck lists of dumps and stuff like that. It's an aura-based aggressive strategy that use, that looks to use cards such as Hateful Eidolon or that glitters in Ethereal Armour to close out the game. Um, as mentioned earlier, just think of it as modern Bogles, but with a, a longer game plan, you've got some disruption as well because you can run stuff like Forties. Yeah. Um, the strategy came about thanks to Ken Yukihiro, actually, from Players Tour Nagoya before the pandemic. So I want to say it was like early, early 2020. Um, Ken went as far as to the finals on the tour, lost to Bant Spirits, 
but since that event Orzavoras has kind of stuck around because it just keeps getting new toys yeah. and uh, I don't know if you're similar Scott but I'm a big Ken Yuka Hero fan I always play the decks that he builds and he also built one of Blue Tempo in Standard way back when so you know what's not to yeah. love yeah he, he builds mad wacky decks and Hollow One he, I think he curated Hollow One as well I believe as well but yeah mm-hmm in most cases, you are looking to be aggressive as possible. You want to play your one drops and pile them up with auras, mostly ethereal armor and all that glitters because a lot of the creatures in your deck are enchantments themselves. So they get the be- the benefit of um, all that glitters and ethereal armor. Mm-hmm. This is what breaks Ors of Auras apart from modern Bogles. Even though you don't have the hex proof, you have a lot more resilience. You have a lot more card draw. You have a lot more ways to win. Um, there are various ways to grind out the opponent and promote a longer game plan, but we'll get that into the meat and bones of the episode. Yep. Now, if you want to check out the deck list that we'll be talking about here, as well as all of our tips and tricks, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast, where you can get access to not only the show notes, but also the exclusive tricks and niche lines to be able to immediately level up your game with this deck. So... You have a $70 mono-white auras list and a $100 auras of auras list. So adding the extra color and the extra utility is only an extra $30. Would you say that if you were starting off and you were feeling like you really wanted to invest in this kind of archetype, would it be worth starting off with 70 or 100 It depends on your experience, like what you played before. If you're not sure and you're, you're say, you're, say you're like new to Pioneer, so I'll treat this as someone who's completely fresh to the format, has no clue what's going on. Um, I would suggest a $70 one just because it's the least amount of money for something that you might not like. Like, And if you do like it, you can evolve into that. Um, you, the, the repl- replacing the yeah. cards is quite easy because there's a lot of overlap. Um, both of them do run Luris because why not? It's free in the deck and it's great. But yeah, I would start with Mono White because it's the cheapest way to enter the format. And if you happen to think, oh man, I really like the idea of this strategy. I want to have some more long game. I want to have some removal like have discard and have a bit more of a game plan then you can easily evolve it into all of auras quite easily and it's like a 30 dollar difference so it's a good way to go cool all right so let's talk about some key cards so surprise surprise sram senior edificer is a pretty important card in sram auras yes the name say card in a lot of cases and um, you could say it's the biggest yeah. draw to the uh, to the strategy which is a terrible joke in itself yeah. With that, um, this is what makes Auras of Auras so good. It's just the ability for your Auras to essentially become cantrips. They just replace mm. themselves, and it's so powerful in this deck because it just keeps, it allows you to find more creatures if you've lost them, or allow you to get more Auras so you can keep piling on the damage. Um, Survivor will become a lightning rod for removal given how powerful it is, and mm. so running a playset is essential. The legendary free yeah. rule does not apply here. You want to run as four, as many as possible. Um, you can only protect Sram with stuff like El Seed of Life's Bounty because yeah. uh, Carmetra's Breson only cares about enchantment creatures. So weighing up how you protect Sram is quite important. But a lot of the time you can just let it go because you'll probably draw another one due to the amount of cards you draw off Sram. Yeah. Another key card to the strategy is Luris the Dream Den. Surprise, surprise. Shock the horror. super powerful companion is a, is a good card. So, yeah, you can rebuy any of the non-land permanents in the deck. So any auras that you use uh, on creatures, you can rebuy your SRAMs. You can rebuy Alsades, like you said, that you've sacrificed to protect your SRAMs. All sorts of stuff. Um, there's also, like, dead weights in the sideboard that yeah. you can recur as well, which is great for picking off smaller creatures. It's also free because you're just running a super low curve anyway. Like, there's nothing in the deck 
that would be there if Luris wasn't around. So, yeah, it's quite nice. Yeah. Also, it has lifelink. Yeah. Like, that's pretty important for races. Yeah, it's pretty great. And also, one thing to note, the fact that you can spread the cost of Luris over two turns is quite big, given how low the mana, uh, how mm. the low land count in the deck. So you're paying the free mana to get Luris to your hand is easy to meet with a strategy like as this, such as this. So. Yeah. And then, all the glitters and ethereal armor. Kind of the same card? Sort of. Kind of the same card. Um, having eight of this effect is really, really good. And this is what makes Orza Auras better in Pioneer than it would be in Historic because you don't have uh, Ethereal Armor. Yeah. These just all just stack up. As I mentioned earlier, they'll stack up with Elseed and your Hateful Eidolons. If you've got any Cyborg Artifact um, cards, they help all that glitters as well. Um, yeah, they're just really, really powerful. And if you, want, if you curve this into... If you curve Ethereal Armor into all that glitters it's a really good race just against because you, you want to be aggressive as possible right so you just want mm. to get these on early as possible and just turn sideways yep for sure and then you're running black in the deck so Thoughtseize is a really good card you don't normally see it main deck but it's real good in the sideboard because it allows you to you know pull out some removal in specific matchups or any sort of key problematic things like maybe a spell queller or a nave which can be pretty large by itself as well as refueling your opponent with tons of removal so yeah it's good it's good for buying your time if you're looking for something a little more budget than thoughtsies though duress is pretty good yeah because well. a lot a of the, solid one. yeah a lot of the time you want to hit the removal the non-creature spells in these kind mm. of in in these sort of matchups, so Duress is a fine placeholder until you can get Thought Seizers. Like Thought Seizers is one of the best cards in in Pioneer, so why not run it yeah. if you can? So it's a really good one. Oh, you don't have to run it, but I like to have the option of going. Cool, I want to see what my opponent's doing. Like, is is the pathway clear for me yeah. to deal some damage? And plus, the two the losing the life is irrelevant because you're gaining so much of it anyway. That's it. Now with every single deck that you ever play, there are certain cards that you need to be aware of. This one, pretty afraid of removal in general. The likes of Fatal Push, Lightning Strike, uh, Abrupt Decay in particular is very it's rough. Pretty rough. Um, yeah, so unlike Modern Bogles, your creatures don't have Hexproof. Um, mm. So your opponents won't be siding out your removal spells like Game 2 and 3 because it can interact with you. Um, just be mindful of the matchups or like what the decks you're playing against and the kind of a removal you're coming up against. Um, stuff like Lightning Strike is not too bad because of because you'll be piling up the auras, so a lot of the time it's not going to yeah, matter. Grudge, yeah. But in the early turns, it might be you know they might use it on a SRAM or something like that. Um, but stuff like Fatal Push, Abrupt Decay, Assassin's Trophy is another good one that can get you. Yeah, just yeah. just be mindful. But it's also fine because you have stuff like Hateful Eidolon that gets stuff back when it dies. So there is a lot of um, value from losing your creatures. It's not ideal because you need the creatures to win, but you do have lines. So. Yeah, absolutely. Thoughtseize as well is another one. This is something that's in common with modern Bogles. Yes. You know, if your opponent takes away your key threat dead before you have a chance to play it, you're in a lot of trouble. Your hand is basically blank pieces of cardboard. So... Yeah, it's it's pretty decent. Like you are able to rebuy anything that's taken off by casting Luris and replaying it from the bin, but it's a good fallback plan, but it's not great to rely on this. Like if you get if you look at a hand and you know you're against the Totsies deck, you're gonna want to try and have like two threats or two key pieces instead of just one. Because falling back on Luris is fine if you've already made some strides in the first place. Luris is more of a late game thing, I find, just because yeah. You know, 
it's if you if you're if you if someone fought Caesar's away like you're one creature, you can't afford to wait on Lurus turn four at at the earliest. Like you've probably lost the game at that point because you just want to be quick and aggressive as possible. Lurus is not it <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah, very true. <laughs> All right, so there are good matchups, and one such good matchup is Monogreen Devotion. Tell me about that one, Emma. Yeah, this is like from experience. I found this to be one of the easiest matchups you'll encounter. Granted, we're not seeing a lot of mono green devotion slash walkers mm. recently, purely because Ors of Ors is really, really good. Um, they're just really slow on the uptake, um, so you can just get aggressive. Like their Lanoir Elves and Elvish Mystics really do nothing. Mm. Like the Nissas don't do a lot against you. The Khans don't do a lot against you. So you can just ignore the Planeswalkers and just go face. It's it's a very simple matchup. Uh, it's probably one of the best ones you'll have as a Ors of Auras player, I found. Yeah, for sure. Mono Red Aggro is another pretty good one because a lot of your creatures have lifelink and can very quickly outgrow all removal they could possibly have for them. Mm. So Lightning Strike, Wild Slash, they're going to have to use multiples in order to take down a single threat. And by the time they do that, you probably have another one. So one thing to watch out for, though, is Eidolon of the Great Revel. That can start to... That card really can, really, can really punish you. But as you have the life gain like built in on your creatures, you can probably mitigate some of that and you can probably go to a fairly low life total um, because you're just going to get it back up back up again through just attacking. So, but yeah, overall, it's a pretty good matchup. Speaking of red decks, you've got Gruul Midrange as well, which is also a good matchup because you can just stack your auras onto one creature because they don't have a lot of removal just because of the colour pairings mm. they're in. And like Bone Crusher Giant is the only real main board sort of, you know, answer and you know, it doesn't kill a, a hateful idol on with like a ethereal armor on it. So yeah. you can again you can just afford to get aggressive, um, ignore like the clothis and the planeswalkers and just go to town. Yeah. They do sometimes run some stuff like Rabble Masters and they can be a little scary. So yeah. this is the kind of matchup where you'd want to be sure that your your combat maths is pretty good. Yes. Yeah. With all good decks that have good matchups, they also have bad matchups. And there's one here, the, the first one on the list, Emma. I, I know you like this deck, but oh god, I despise it. I just. I love Band Spirits. Oh. Um, I kind of want to build it in, in paper for Pioneer at some point. But yeah, this matchup is horrific. I've, I find this matchup quite difficult. I don't know if people feel the same, but it's just in general, with the fact that the spirits can fly over and they've got a load of built in counter magic. And as you have a low land count and curve, stuff like Mausoleum Wanderer is just incredible against you because a lot of the time you're just not going to be able to pay the costs when they sacrifice mm. it. Um, back it up with stuff like Skyclave Apparition and Spell Queller. It's a very, very hard game to navigate because a lot mm. of it exiles, a lot of it doesn't go into your bin. So you can't use the stuff, yeah. like use the abilities of like Hateful Eidolon and so forth. The only hope is just to be aggressive as possible and hope they just have nothing. And that is not really a good baseline for a matchup, but that's the most you yeah. can hope. <laughs> yeah. Playing to your deck strengths is usually the best way to go and just hope that it's enough to get there. Which you can kind of say the same about the next bad matchup as well, which is Five Color Niv. So they have arguably the best late game in the entire format. And. The downside for them is that they're slow, so you need to try and take advantage of that. Get a threat down early, start loading it up as quick as possible, and beat in there. Yeah, you basically just hope to dodge removal, essentially. Stone Coil Serpent is really good for this, because it basically says protection from target opponent's deck. Yeah, the multi-colour is nice. really nice here. 
yeah. but yeah they just have a suite of removal they have all sorts they can find whatever they need given the situation and Niv himself is just a really good win condition and it flies it's very evasive so mm. you just want to clock your opponent as quickly as possible because the second that Niv comes down it's going to be a bad time yeah and then the final matchup, I have never experienced this one myself, so you'll probably be able to give a bit more insight on this one. Jun's Sacrifice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cropping up because obviously Cat Oven is just a really good thing to be doing in Magic right now, apparently. Um, combining oh. just great removal because you're in Jund, so you have a lot of answers. That said for Disruption, you have Fort Seas. And then you have big creatures like Corvold. Um, this matchup is really, really tough because they just have a, they have a lot of ways to attack the deck. Not just they're not as linear, so there's a lot they can do, and their end game is pretty strong because they can just sacrifice and make a big Corvold. Basically, they force you to play to their rhythm um, and just fire off cat oven when they're ready, and that's very hard for you to interact with. You're not built to interact yeah. with that combo. Um, also, creating the food tokens can will mitigate any early aggression because they can just gain a bunch of life, and it just yeah. it's 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 a difficult one. But again true to form if, you, if you're aggressive you might be able to get there cards like apostle purifying light is big here because the pro black is uh, it blanks a lot of removal and a lot of disruption so i imagine some good cards for this matchup would be like griff spoon and stone cold serpent to help punch yeah. through or fly over the the cat oven kind of combo there yeah the fact that you can't interact with the combo means they're probably going to lean into it a little more so you just have to kill them before they can fire it off which is hard when they have food tokens and stuff, but it's, you can win it, but it's very difficult. Yeah. All right, so they're the good matchups and the bad matchups. Let's talk about a couple of tips and tricks. So as we've mentioned throughout this episode, you are the aggressor. When you sit down to play a game with Ors of Auras, you are the aggressor. So you want to prioritize developing threats over disruption and apply that pressure as soon as possible. And this is where Fortsy sometimes come, is not in the 75 of these decks because it just slows the game plan. Um, Fortsy's is very meta-dependent. I, I like having a couple just to know what my opponent's up to. But yeah. most cases, you're just thinking, how can I kill my opponent quickly? And the combat mass that comes with it, you just, it's all you care about. So if you're a very aggressively-minded player, then this deck is, is really good for that. Yeah, and most of your sideboarding decisions as well are going to revolve around how to most adequately pressure the game plan. So you need to work out, do I need to deal with things that my opponent is doing or do I need them to deal with me? You know, you can't really afford to do both. It kind of dilutes the plan too much. So if you're going to be bringing in Thoughtseize, you need to be bringing it in for a sort of a good reason and that kind of thing generally. There's, a, there's very, very dedicated, specific things like these this is some of the most robust sideboarding that i've seen in some of these lists like some of these lists run like four copies of a specific card and then four copies of another card and then you know it's it's basically like threes or fours in the sideboard there's very few like one ofs and that kind yeah. of thing so it's very very specific in what it's looking to do in that sense another good tip which is one that you really want to remember is whenever you sacrifice I'll see the life bounty don't name pro white because a lot of your auras <laughs> are white so they will just fall off I have learned that the hard way I'll be honest like I've made that mistake and I'm making it clear that you don't want to name that uh, yeah it's just one to keep in mind it, it might seem simple but it's just what the way how like auras and protection work yeah thankfully in pioneer most of white's removal is terrible, so it's not very often that you'll be naming it's it. It's the multicolor stuff you have to be careful of. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Um, we had mentioned actually back in episode 42, uh, the modern highlights one for Bogles, we mentioned Grespoon. It has an activated ability from the graveyard. It's really good to give you some evasion and if you need to push through the last few points of damage, you know, you can fly over and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's really good in the late game. The four mana is a lot, but in the late game, you mm. probably have that anyway. And it's just, it just as you say, it just might be enough. And a lot of people don't realize it has a, has a ability in the graveyard and it can't be countered, which is a big part of it as well. Yeah. If you're playing Pioneer, let's say, and you have an idea of what your local metagame is like, you've identified that, oh, I've got some control decks, I've got some like slower, grindier decks, how can I leverage that into my favour? And this goes for um, Athenia of the Cacophony, um, who is a 2-1 flyer. On your end step, you make a 2-2 zombie if you exile an enchantment card from your graveyard, mm. which is really, really good for the late game. It just means you can overwhelm the board with zombies, um, you can trade your threats for more tokens and go wide. Yeah, if, you, if you're looking for something against like the control matchups or the, the matchups that don't have a lot of removal, this is a really good one for the late game. Yeah, for sure. So that's it for the tips and tricks here. We also have exclusive content like mulliganing and sideboard tips over on patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. Any level of support there will give you access to the show notes, which will include all of the deck lists that we were talking about, as well as some extra little tidbits of advice. So that is it for Pioneer Ors of Auras. That is the second Pioneer Primer that we've done now. Yeah. So we had, someone asked us about these recently and was asking if we were doing another one. So here's to you. This <laughs> one is for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is nice to talk about Pioneer. I know everyone's kind of high on modern at the moment with Modern Horizons yeah. 2. But Pioneer is actually in a really good spot at the moment. Um, and it's really nice yeah. to kind of highlight some of these really fun decks because it does have its own identity as much as, you know, yeah. Inverter kind of inverted the format yeah it just seems pretty good i gotta be honest the way the modern is looking at the moment it's like a crazy mad wild west format and the old mainstays don't really it's not that they don't really exist it's just that they're not particularly playable right now like you can't go up with traditional john then expect to win I mean, Anything traditional really... John decks didn't do that anyway, so I don't know well, the, the point you're well, making. Yeah. <laughs> well, the point I'm making is that if you want to play something closer to like traditional John or whatever, those kind of grindy mid-range strategies and stuff are just thriving in Pioneer right now. Yeah, like that is absolutely the format you want to be playing if you're looking to play like modern circa four years ago. Kind play of back, thing. basically. Just play black yeah. cards. Black yeah. green is is a really good one as well. Uh, maybe we should do one mm. on that at some point. Like mid-range. Okay, so before we round out the show, Emma, have you got some Q&A for us this we week? We have a lot of Q&A this week. A lot of people are excited Ooh. to talk about Modern Horizons 2. So I'll fire off mm-hmm. with Evie the Mage, who has sent us two tweets. There was one they sent in last week, but we were recording, so it didn't get shown. So with Modern Horizons 2 finally being released, I'm in love with Reanimator right now. Ashen Rider is $2 mm-hmm. on TCG Player and is a great pickup if you want to play the strategy. It can also be pitched to Grief and Solitude, which is a big deal. And it's also a really good persist target, which is the new reanimation spell from Modern Horizons 2. And then they also go on to say, with the recent reprint of a full art Shardless Agent, these are less than $5 right now, which is really cheap. I didn't realize how cheap they were. Um, And the regular ones are two bucks, which is great. If you want to run the Team of Cascade deck that's making making waves on Magic Online, this is the time to pick them up. And they also have a question. So that said, I want to ask how you feel about Modern Horizons 2 now it's been released and the meta is starting to develop. Real good. I'm just seeing Urza Saga. That's all I keep seeing. I 
honestly think Urza Saga is actually kind of fine. I, I see people like running pieces to, to deal with it in the sideboard and it's not having as much of an impact anymore. It, it, it'd it be like if, if Dredge was all over the place and instead of putting Graveyard Hate in the sideboard, they're like, oh God, ban Dredge. It's, it's impossible to deal with using the tools that I'm using. Like just run tools that hate on it. Like listen to last week's episode. It's yes. fine. <laughs> I think the issue is everyone go, is going on about Urza Sagas because people are just playing with it. No one's answering it because mm. they're the ones playing with it because the new cards, it's like what's yeah. two and a half weeks into a new format, three weeks at the point of this, rec- uh, when this episode comes out. And no one's wanting to find answers for stuff because they want to do the broken silly stuff, which is the whole point of One Horizons 2, right? You just want to throw spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks. Yeah. Now, with that said, it is entirely likely that things could get worse because, well, let's be honest, we probably haven't found the best Urza Saga deck yet. Yeah. We probably haven't found like the best way to break it or whichever. We've just been putting it in kind of everywhere and going, oh, this looks fine. Yeah, it's good. So... It could get worse. Yeah, that's what Jim Davis said, and I kind of agree with it. He was like, yeah, it's it's really good, and it's doing good stuff now. Think mm-hmm. about what it's going to do once we find the optimised list, like the optimised place for it, and then what's it going to do? And that's a good point. It should be interesting yeah. to see, if is this the ceiling, or is it going to continue? Yeah, that's it. Um, we have a tweet from Jeffrey David, and they ask, should we all be buying our playsets of trailer crumbs now, as it seems that Golgari food is the best version for Asamora? What do you think? I think yes. I think just picking up a set is great anyway, because food is just a really good mechanic, like, token-wise. It's just, it seems one of the better ones. Yeah. Yeah, well, little spoiler if you haven't read the, the article that I've put out this week, but the affordable version of Golgari food is the one that I use for the most competitive yeah. deck to get yourself into modern at the moment. And it runs trailer crumbs in the sideboard, but honestly, it's like I'm starting to see people run it in the main board and I'm starting to think that might be right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean like if it's something you wanted to do, yeah, absolutely pick up trailer crumbs. They're not expensive right now because Eldrain is still in standard. But yeah, it's the kind of thing that I'm pretty sure that you know, given the fact that Modern Horizons do introduce more food and stuff, it's obvious that they're going to be reintroducing food again at some point. You know, it's unlikely that they'll just get rid of it and never have it again. So, yeah, it's worth picking up because let's say in five years' time they come back with another thing and it makes food absolutely broken and we look back at Eldraine and all these old, like, commons and uncommons and they're all, like, $10 now. And it's yeah. like, oh, how did that happen? Yeah, if you, th- if you think that might happen, go get them. Yeah. Another way to think of it is if there's a good, like, Food Matters commander, like a really dedicated, super powerful one, stuff like Trails of Crumbs are just going to shoot up in value because people will want to build it. So just having a set and forgetting about it just seems fine to me. Yeah. Um, And they also ask, uh, follow-up question, perhaps a future deep dive on the non-legendary reanimator deck. I'm going to assume this is modern, so maybe we should do that at some point. Yeah, could do. Yeah, there's there's an awful lot of wishy-washiness about it at the moment because... Mm. Well, more people are focused on the likes of Versa Saga and food in general and that kind of thing, that the archetype isn't developing as quickly as some others for that reason. There's a lot of settling for that to do, I think. There's a number of different ways in which that's going at the moment, and mm-hmm. no one is completely set on which way is the best. There's something that I saw recently, actually, and it's kind of related to Reanimator, and that is I saw an Affinity Neoform deck. What? Where they looked... <laughs> yeah, listen, bear with me, right? So they look to play out a bunch of artifacts and stuff and the affinity creatures, you know, 
affinity decks running actual affinity creatures because the likes of sojourner's companion is a seven drop you can play that for free on like turn two and then you can use neoform on it to go and get gristlebrand Nice. So that's a thing. That's a thing. It's not a nice. known quantity right now, but I saw like some Japanese player like um, did really well in the challenge or something recently with that's it, sick. and they put up their list. So I want to look into that as well. It's it, it's reanimator adjacent. Yeah, you know, but yeah, definitely want to check that out too. Uh, Servo Token has a question for us, and they ask, "What are each of your favorite budget deck options for Pioneer?" Now that the format is poised to make a comeback, now what's he allowed in-store play in uh, America and parts of Europe? Uh, For me, originally I was going to say Mono Blue Tempo because I just love that deck. Mm. Any opportunity to fit Mono Blue Tempo in anywhere, I'll take it. But there's been a Mono Blue Spirits list showing up over the last month or two that as much as I hate Banned Spirits, mostly because of Spellqualler, let's be honest, I just despise that card. But... Mono Blue Spirits feels an awful lot like the Mono Blue Tempo, except your threats get better, you know, mm. because it runs stuff like Supreme Phantom. Uh, it's got Shackle Geist where you can tap spirits to tap creatures and Rattle Chains flashing in to protect them and that kind of thing. And then you can just draw out with like Spectral Sailor or make a huge beater with like Ascendant Spirit. And you still have stuff like, you know, the Spell Pierces and the Curious Obsessions, all sorts of stuff. It's... It's really, really good. It's like $75 as well. We should definitely probably do an episode on it, actually. Yeah. I like like blue cards and spirits. Let's go. Um, So my answer would be... So I'm going to cheat a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'd say mono white uh, auras is is like an actual answer. Like, if you want something cheap, that's a good one to go with. Um, Secondly, I would suggest listening to our episode 36, where we did a Pioneer upgrade with the Challenger decks. So if you are new to Pioneer... Starting with one of those would be really good. And I'd recommend starting with the modern red one because that is has the most power and the least upgrades mm. to get you going. And plus, red is just good in Pioneer. You don't need a lot to make it work. So that would be my suggestion. For sure. Uh, and then Carter Brazel has a question for us saying, I'm personally in love with General Ferocious Rockrick and think it could be a fun deck in modern. What type of shell do you think it will fit best? Will it be Will it be a piece in Nib decks, or will a new deck will emerge from it? I'll be honest, I have not really looked at the card. I've seen it about in some lists. I think PV mm. did a couple of lists, but there's nothing really that's came out to me. Yeah, so there's three places that immediately come to mind when I think about this card. That is... First of all, it's been showing up in, like, zoo decks, mm. because there's been a lot of, like, multicolor things, because... You know, you get the extra lands and stuff, and it turns on Territorial Kavu and, you know, Sign of Draco and all that sorts of stuff. So it's it's pretty easy to fit it in there. However, I feel it would be better as, like, a cyborg card to help grind out because it is, like, more expensive than the average creature in that deck. Yeah. You know, you don't really want to be up in your curve. If anything, you want to be dropping it further to make it more aggressive. So it'd be a good cyborg option there. Uh, the Niv decks, yeah. Like, the, the the problem is, it is a kind of grindy card because you make creatures for casting spells that are multicolored and that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's great and everything to help go over the top of, like, mid-range decks and that kind of thing. But Niv already does that. Niv just goes, whatever, I'm Niv. Like, I'll just draw, like, seven cards and absolutely bury you. So, I don't really see it fitting there, but it can fit there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think my issue is, would I just run Hero Precinct 1 instead? No. it's just such a bad card i like the card i don't think it's good in modern but i like the card um but yeah yeah, it'd be interesting to see where it lands i think out of the mh2 stuff that's quite low isn't it because everyone as you said everyone wants to play like urza sagas and ragavans and all that kind of stuff but yeah 
There could be like a gold humans list that runs it. Yeah, life. Because it is a human and there's like meddling mage, reflector mage, mantis rider. You've already got them. So if you go a little... Sounds like your favorite deck. Uh, yes, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But it could it could actually fit there. Like it's it's less aggressive than your normal humans deck, but it's got the ability to go wider and create more creatures in the form of these beasts when you're doing like board stalls and that sort of stuff. Mm. It could work, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we have to do a little brew around at some point. Mm. Um, then Kilgore Trout 503 has a question. Question for me and for you. Uh, so here's where Emma has to cut herself out as a foil collector. What is my most expensive magic card and what is the story behind it? Um, I don't really have a story behind it. I just opened it in a booster and that was a foil monastery mentor from Phaedra Ford. When I got a booster nice. box, it was like the last booster. I was like, oh, sweet. Never played with it yeah. because... I've never played mental decks. Um, I still have it because I'm like, yeah, it's cool sort of thing, but that's mm. about it really. How about you? Well, I'm notoriously non-foil, like all around. I just don't like the way it looks. It actually, some foils, particularly the newer ones, um, almost like hurt my eyes. Like I I think I have some sort of photosensitivity or something. They, they are so hard to look at sometimes. But... Yeah, I don't have a whole lot. I do actually have a foil that's somewhat expensive, and that is, it's a foil flooded strand that I got when I took part in Nationals like two years ago. Ah, the Mike Fox promo. Yeah. And also, James Keating, the creative director for CFB, on my 30th, he got me, and I don't know if this was supposed to be nice or a joke or something, but he got me one of the, the Japanese uh, Teferi Time Revelers. Oh. the Japanese uh, art ones I was like oh this is really nice but also screw you I think you I can't tell <laughs> I despise it but he got it for me and like I'm, I still have it um, oh, yeah, okay. that, that was nice ish <laughs> <laughs> wow and then lastly we got a question from Zach Traverso they ask what is your favourite episode or moment of the BM cast so far so um if, for people that don't know this is our 50th episode recording so there's a little bit of a landmark yeah. for us so someone wanted to ask what is our favorite moment so far or episode uh personally i like it whenever angelo's on here because we kind of just bust chops back and forward yes which is is always pretty fun yeah um i'd say favorite moment like not to toot my own horn but i'm a pretty big fan of the uh the intro where i talked about the anime playmat i was gonna say that <laughs> kind of like really that <laughs> <laughs> such a good intro i think that's our f- yeah. i think that's my favorite moment of every episode is the intros that we do just the slight digs <laughs> and the you know it's just a nice leeway into the episodes i think yeah i can't even remember how we got around to, to starting that before the bm cast became a thing for people at home and we just brainstormed for like two to three months and like prepped a load of stuff and i think yeah, in yeah. the notes you were just like yeah wouldn't it be cool just to have this thing where like oh yeah you know not a podcast that you know has turn free tron or whatever you know and just had a list of suggestions and we've rattled through them quite quickly oh, yeah. and then yeah, we've yeah. it was more since. generic stuff and then we realized that we could actually take digs of people yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> um i think my favorite episode has to be the one where we got gavin verhey on because that was that was really a it yeah. was really fun to do and two he approached us to talk about pauper mm. and stuff in like a commander legends release and that was just really cool and to the point it was like yeah we kind of made it as a podcast like we're, we're noticed sort of thing it's just it was really nice it's a good feeling notice me watsy senpai yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Nicholas Martin, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, and Christopher McCarthy. And at the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, A Nice Planeswalker, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, Tom Telford, Alex Gibson, Jeff Eaton, and Bo Schwartz Madsen. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck. <laughs>